about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. In this episode, Simon Henley interviews Belinda Patharaja. Simon is a colleague here at the Kingston School of Art and a practitioner with Henley Halebrown Architects in London, who are doing remarkable work across the city at the moment. And here he interviews the Sri Lankan architect Melinda Patharaja, and they speak about Melinda's education and how he came to develop his views on architecture, and in particular how they have shaped his own practice, Robust Architecture Workshop, which he jointly runs. And the conversation, the conversation ranges across the ethical concerns that underlie this practice, and Melinda outlines how architecture played a meaningful role in an aspect of post-war reconstruction there, not only in the sense of literal construction or rebuilding, but also in the sense of rebuilding lives, retraining people involved in the conflict, and how this way of looking at the subject has shaped the nature of his practice on a whole range of fronts. In particular, they dwell on the contemporary problem of style and Melinda's view of the languages of architecture needing to emerge from a clear-sighted understanding of the context in which the architect is called to work. And this really resonated with me, I have to say, as being of broad utility today because wherever architects are called to work, this need to find our agency in the negotiation of the found conditions seems to be the way forward for our discipline, one that allows a more meaningful connection with the problems that face our societies and our role in helping to solve them. Anyway, that's enough for me. On with the interview. I do hope you enjoy it. And I'll return at the end just for a few closing remarks. Thank you. So I'd like to welcome Melinda Patharaja um, from Robust Architecture Workshop uh, from Sri Lanka. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Um, So it would be really good to start with your education. Um, My sense is that you're an incredibly cosmopolitan architect, which will become apparent as we talk. Well, uh, look, I mean, I think eventually perhaps uh, that was the case, but I, I started my architecture studies back in Sri Lanka. Um, um, So I did uh, three years of bachelor's uh, studies uh, in the university in Moratua. Um, And then I worked for, I think, this sort of wonderful architect from Sri Lanka called Vichita Basnaika, who has a, a kind of a practice which is sort of detached from the mainstream, um, a very small Buddhist practice, uh, who is very hands-on with the, the kind of work he does. There's a lot of work on site. And I spent one year uh, with him, and I think that was sort of a, um, an experience that I still um, cherish. And, uh, and then uh, once I completed uh, that one year with him, I moved to uh, Melbourne and completed my last two years uh, of uh, bachelor's studies there. And then I worked in Australia for about uh, three years um, uh, as a graduate architect. And then eventually I went back to Melbourne University to do uh, my postgraduate studies. So uh, so that was the sort of the formal education that I had. But I would say that I'm also someone who have learned informally. You know, I would say learn from the world. And, yeah. and tell me a bit about that in the sense of things which are not architectural, perhaps, let's say. Yes, exactly. So I, I, I think that 
you know, for me, it's difficult to separate architecture from the life world, and uh, and especially where I come from. Um, uh, so I think there are so many things that you know you could learn. Um, looking at buildings, visiting buildings, visiting places, um, but not only good buildings. I mean, buildings perhaps not um, very well done for different reasons, of course, but I always sort of looked at these buildings and, you know, tried to think, you know, if I'm the architect, what could I have done? You know, could I have done it better? Um, and if so, how can I tackle it? So I think um, the world is a sort of a, you know, place where you can also learn. And uh, and I think that that's something that uh, I still try to do. I mean, I'm, I'm still a student of architecture yes. and, you know, this... Perhaps you always are. We always are. I sense you have really strong motives as an architect. Yes. Look, I, I think the, the place perhaps make you to be one in, a, in, in, in that way, in the sense that you know, something that I always say is that, you know, when I went back from Melbourne, there were so many things I had to unlearn. I learned a lot. Um, but at the same time, when I went back, you know, it, it, it was a totally different place, um, you know, culturally, socially, but also uh, in, the, in, in terms of the, of, the, of the profession and the practice and the industry. Um, so in a way that, you know, it sort of compelled me to question, you know, who is an architect? Um, and uh, and the definition of an architect, you know, is it a, is it a universal um, concept or it, you know should it be place specific? And I think the challenges that you would eventually, uh, you know, need to address in, in in different parts of the world is different. So, you know, I, I, when you practice in a in a place like Sri Lanka, you always overlap different responsibilities. You know, you wear different hats. You mm -hmm. know, you are, you, I mean. You could be an artist. I mean, if you want, you could also be a philosopher. But you're also a builder. You're also a policymaker. So in a sense, that so it's it sort of, in a way, compels you to question who you are. Yeah. And it's not unusual, is it, to... Well, one tends to think that when one travels, that it's more shocking to go to the new place. And often, from my experience, it's more shocking to go back to the place you thought you knew. Yes, yes. And perhaps that time in Melbourne yes. made you acutely aware of kind of who you needed to exactly, be. Exactly, exactly. And I, you're correct in the sense that, you know, sometimes I think that it's an advantage to take yourself away from that place that you have been for like 20 years and you go somewhere else, and then you could look at you know, your own place in a different eye. Uh, you detach yourself from that place, and then you try to sort of look at that place, not emotionally, but perhaps intellectually mm -hmm. and socially and politically, and then you start to see different things. Um, so I, I think that sort of time that I spent in Melbourne sort of gave me that opportunity to sort of understand the place and its architecture in a different sense. And you did your PhD in Melbourne. Yes. So in a way, you um, you were you, you had a kind of consciousness. I mean, I'd, what I'd really like you to do is to talk about yes. your PhD and and how I think I'm sensing that that was a kind of uh, uh, the beginnings of beginning the beginnings of the learning about the place that you'd left. If yes. you know what I mean. Yes. 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 Certainly. I mean, look, I I think. Uh, um, there were certain um, situations that sort of led to 
me to do that that kind of research and first of all I, I, you know i would tell that i'm 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 lucky in a way that you know what i do in the practice is a kind of an extension of the research that i did but i i think the moment that triggered the the line of thinking that i i've been extending since then was that when i was in melbourne my mother wanted to do a small extension to his uh, to her house and so i was in melbourne so i did a design scheme and i sent the drawings uh to candy uh, which is where uh, she is based and then I, i i i i thought that look i've done a reasonably good scheme and then it will get built the way that i imagine but it was not the case <laughs> um so so what went wrong well you realize that you know this, this so we 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 managed to get this uh, um group of builders um uh, who who are quite this experience in the in the in the industry who have been working in the industry for 20 25 years but there's a there's a difference between knowledge and skills you know so application of knowledge on a, on a construction site so i realized that there were workers who have been in the industry for 20 years but all what they have been doing is moving materials from one place to another um so there's sort of you know traditionally we had um kind of an informal apprenticeship process where if you are a young uh you know man from a village if you don't have any other education qualifications you would go and work with a master builder and during that process you acquire skill and then eventually you became a skilled worker but craftsman a craftsman yeah. yes um and that's how it was that's how it was uh but not how it n- is exactly so no, you know and sometimes you, if when you look at these sort of informal systems of knowledge dissemination you would see that they are all related with each other so you are loyal to your you know the master builder who would eventually transfer skills to you but now we have what we call labor only subcontractors so the subcontractor supplies labor to the construction site so if you are a worker you are loyal not to the the, the master builder who could potentially transfer skills to you but to the subcontractor who would find so these sort of loyalty structures have changed so i, I realized that so we have this sort of informal workforce in the industry who uh, do not get opportunity to upskill and there is a kind of a reciprocal connection between the poor quality of workers mm. and the poor quality of buildings and is it is it i mean yes it's poor yes. quality but presumably it also generates just different kinds of buildings yes Yeah, and and how would you sort of summarize these other buildings these these ones which are now sort of typically built yes um look i i think uh, um you know the, the, in 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 a country like sri lanka you know there are buildings uh, that are built purely because of a special need not necessarily because of a cultural need you know it's it's just you know um satisfying special requirement and uh, and uh, and often you know most of these buildings do not get involved um you know professionals um so it's almost uh, the you know you would get a builder and then the builder would build uh the the structures for you and and most of these constructions are incrementally so you would increasingly see um you know towns and cities are transforming into this kind of uh you know urban Uh, corridors with you know so many substandard buildings glass concrete and you know alcopon and so on and so on 
Uh, and the problem is that I think at the end of the day, it's about the culture. It's about the culture of building. Uh, you know, we had strong craftsman traditions, um, and we still have good skilled workers, but they are they are uh, expensive, but they are also limited, especially compared to the demand that is there. So, uh, so the building, you know, the the building stock that is there is a is a is a uh, is is an outcome of the culture that yeah. is there, and the culture is changing. So, you you know, I guess yes. Um, so the name of the practice, yes. robust architecture workshop. The, I, I sense there's you know that's more than a clue about what your concerns are, and yes. I guess, and it does stem from the research you did with your PhD, yes. didn't it? So yes, it'd yes. be really good to yes. to understand that sort of trajectory because. It informs everything you do now, as far yes. as I know, yes. both as a teacher, a writer, and a practitioner. Exactly. So I, I think uh, one of the things that when I went back to Sri Lanka and I felt that, you know, as an architect, what kind of work you want to do and how do you want to contribute to this place? And often in a, in a place like Sri Lanka, still, I think architecture is sort of seen as an elite um, uh, profession, elite, elite yeah. profession. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know architects sort of you know tend to define a niche market um, and it's rarely that you would get an opportunity to travel across markets and and work in building interventions which are different different in terms of spending capacities different in terms of programs and 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 and, and spatial conditions and so on so I guess on our point of view um, uh, the challenge was to sort of, you know, try to see whether we can develop a, a kind of a design vocabulary and a, and a strategy which allows you to travel across. And and at the same time, um, there's this um, concern about, um, you know, skills and workmanship and so on and so on. So one of the things that I, I studied, and, and I think that was the premise of my research that I did for my PhD was to see whether we can use real building projects as opportunities to train workers on construction site. And from a design point of view, then is that if you use real building projects to train workers, then the building systems and the design solutions that we develop should have latitude for errors um, and, yeah. and have plenty of tolerance. So this idea of tolerance then becomes a key yeah. um, in defining you know what we what we call robustness, and in terms of a kind of chronology of practice and the history of architecture and the history of a nation, there's no you know it's no coincidence, is it, that that your research coincided with the end of the civil war? Yes, uh, in Sri Lanka. Yes, and a, a population of unskilled uh, labour in the form of people who've been in the army. Yes. For perhaps sort of a lifetime. Yes, yes. yes. There, there were projects where, uh, you know, especially uh, the library project that we did um, in, in Ambepusa, in Ambepusa yeah. um, which was uh, um, a, a, a sort of a project that was built by a, a group of army soldiers. Um, and what happened at the end of the civil war is that we were left with this large, you know, workforce of soldiers who almost did have much to do. But also there was a need to demilitarize the army. So there was a need to retrain them in alternative trades. So one of the things that we looked at there was to see whether we can use the soldiers in the construction activities. But at the same time, soldiers are not trained craftsmen. 
so we had to train them during the construction process but we also didn't have money to train them pr- first and then build the building so these so are the, the building kind of becomes the training building becomes the parts of the building almost are sort of not well we might say they're redundant but yes. then they can't be quite redundant but they they have to be able to absorb the lack of skill yes and they and somehow not in any way be seen as substandard let's say exactly yeah. exactly and and, and the, at the end of the day the idea there was to create a, a physical capital which is the the kit of part building system and a social capital which is the trained workforce and then use this social capital and physical capital to build similar buildings elsewhere so it's a it's a way of you know trying to intervene in the post war space and mm. then how to see we can reorganize post war reconstruction work um so uh, but that we believe perhaps a strategy that you can extend into other projects as well so so you know sometimes when we work in 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 certain projects it deep in it, it doesn't really matter whether it's a house or whether it's a, a shopping mall but there's always an aspect that we try to bring in which is about so there's transferability exactly but also sort of specificity that's right yes yeah. yes yes so in a way it's not well it's an interesting question i suppose is therefore to what extent is it about what it is in terms of style is not a word i mean, i've used the word yes. but it's not a word that we would necessarily want to use but you know i suppose there is you know, people find a language don't they yes you know, architects yes. find a language yes. and that language has uh, aesthetic properties yes uh material preoccupations um poss- possibly ethical yes. dimensions yes and yet i've heard you talk about the fact that in a way i think that you 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 want to explore lots of different ways of making at yes. different scales yes. right different yes. materials yes yeah not to be drawn into making buildings Except, one way yeah. is that yeah yeah, yeah. That i right? mean look that's that's the only way you know that's the only way that when you practice in a place like sri lanka and if you want to do buildings which are diverse uh, to each other different to each other from a social and cultural point of view and for me i think language is certainly not about style but i think it's about principles um and 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 uh, so you have a set of principles and then how you apply these principles in different contexts which eventually define what the outcome would be so I- at the end of the day it's not a question whether we are doing a sri lankan looking building or a western looking building whether it's a modern looking building or a traditional looking building whether the building has a roof or whether the roof is not visible it doesn't really matter but at the but end of the most architects it would yeah it would which is, exactly know. and but i think it also you know creates a kind of a restricted framework for you if you look at architecture from that point of view i mean if you go and build a say uh, 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 a series of classrooms for a poor school in uh, in in, a, in in rural sri lanka i mean you know it, you can't impose your style into that intervention because there is, perhaps you don't have the right resources you might not have the the craftsmanship to you know produce the kind of you know architecture that you want to do um and they might not have the money so you know it it has to be i guess A, a kind of a bottom up process it's not a top down yeah. intervention of your ideas but you can you can um, you can um, i guess um, apply the principles mm-hmm. um the ethos but then the building will define what mm-hmm. it wants to be and in that respect it's, it's almost a 
a, a critical regionalism uh, in uh, both in terms of sort of uh, the available yes. uh, money to yes. build with yes. the climate yes. the community and in brackets with community comes skills yes local materials exactly yeah um, yeah yeah certainly I mean and you know again with regionalism um, the, the, the term critical is I think it's important because even when you look at some of these theories which are applied in that part of the world, unfortunately, we always frame these with a style. Um, and especially regionalism, I think, is framed as a kind of a picture, picturesque movement um, and used as a tool to um, reinforce national cultures and boundaries which are seemingly threatened by forces of globalization. But I think that has created a kind of a restrictive framework for architecture to look at really critical problems of this region, urbanization, housing, um, you know, the pl building for the poor, labor issues, resources. So uh, even, you know, Frampton himself said that, you know, when he introduced the notion of critical regionalism, he said that, you know, architecture, especially in that part of the world, um, happens in cultural interstices in a, in a small niche market in in a chasm, but I think that if architecture need to be critical of that place, then it needs to travel across 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 markets right uh, within that country within the within the country within the country. Yeah. But you know, um, when I say market, in the sense that you know, from you know, low cost housing. Mm -hmm. um, 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 uh, markets into you know so high end in the sense so it, it, you have to constantly travel across unless it it's won't be economic spectrum exactly but you're also crossing I mean Sri Lanka because it is an island I and has a fairly extraordinary varied climate even you know, not seasonally but even one side of the island to the other yes plus certain complexities of of religion. Yes, uh, which relates to exactly, histories yeah. of immigration. So I wonder to what extent that kind of criticality or that regionalism actually is even more specific to, to the north, the south, the east and the west and to what extent that is something that y you've exploited or, uh, you know, uh, responded to. Yes, look, uh, I think, I mean, unfortunately we haven't got the opportunity to work in the north um, specifically where you have the, um, you know, the majority of uh, the community are Tamils and, you know, which was eventually subjected to the civil war as well. But you're correct in the sense that even within that small island, there are different complexities um, in terms of culture, in terms of physical conditions and so on. And so, And that is where I think this idea of flexibility, this idea of robustness mm -hmm. becomes important because uh, it cannot be just one style or one way of applying yeah. architecture. It's about, you know, adapting into different situations. Uh, you know, the way that you build in the coast will uh, be different to the way that you build in the mountains. Um, so, you know, and, and, and there are small assemblies of building cultures. So you need to sort of, you know, um, tap into um, the possibilities that are there, but also in that process, you might have to transfer 
new knowledge and mm-hmm. so so every situation is different in that sense and and let's talk a little bit more about this this notion of robustness i mean every architect has their own idea about it what it means yes but it means something quite specific to yes, you yes. and it seems to me that you know there's the, the the deployment of systems, you, you know, the work is quite systematic in some yes. respects. And I've been looking at it, I mean, I had the fortune to go and visit House yes. 412 with yes. you last year. And maybe we get a chance to talk about that in a moment. But you look at the library and you look at the the, uh, the classrooms for the school. And there's a real logic, you know, real constructional logic, clear use of, of available materials. And then there's also immense freedom to do unpredictable things. Mm. And I quite like you to talk about that. You, you talk about the joint and you know, mm. the room for error. Yes. But, but you also are exploiting things which look like they're easy to do. And in some respects, then also doing things which are harder to do. As yes. Well. yes. And, and yeah. most importantly, not just harder to do, but unexpected. Mm. Mm. So I, I think the scalability is important in the sense that so, um, but uh, you know, as you said that, you know, there are different complexities. So um, how you apply um, your principles and your notions in these different complexities uh, requires uh, a certain level of scalability. So you could bring a certain level of complexity in certain situations, but then other situations you might have to tackle in a different way. But I think, you know, the term that might be most, you know, the closest to our definition of robustness perhaps is tolerance, um, you know, um, and uh, and for us, uh, you know, it's a kind of a design approach uh, which is flexible, which is adaptable, uh, which can um, tolerate different cultural and technical variables of building projects on the one hand and economic situations on the other hand without compromising the, the building performance. So. Uh, so it's it's you know it's it, it's an approach perhaps we could tolerate errors mm-hmm. to a point where the errors would not lead into a chain of failure. So I, I think you know this uh, we are increasingly designing buildings which are rigid and which are sensitive, sensitive in the sense that you know which are perhaps too precise, mm-hmm. and being precise perhaps <coughs> um, refrain from you uh, from intervening in certain. Um, construction situations and that's w- what normally happens so our idea of robustness is this sort of like a flexible adaptable um, language of vocabulary of design which allows you to travel across um, so is it possible maybe on maybe with the library for yes. Ambapuso, be yes. possible could you quite literally describe uh, something about the sequences of the tectonics the construction yes um, yes. From ground up. Yes. It, well, look, I, I think uh, if you look at a project like Ambebus, as I said, that you know we used um, soldiers uh, to build the building, and they were not trained craftsmen, so we had to train them during the uh, production process itself. So, and 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 this needs to be designed at a very early stage of the design process. So, w- you know. Um, when we were designing the building program, we were also designing the training workshops. So in a project like that, you not only design the product, but you also have to design the process. Mm-hmm. And that uh, takes place simultaneously. So 
so the, the way that the project started is that even the selection of materials, you know, one of the things that we, we saw when we first visited the site was that the soldiers had been building a playground nearby. So there was plenty of residual earth. And then the soldiers um, have... And by the way, it's an escarpment, isn't it? It the, is, the, yeah. The, the library is built on. Exactly. And the soldiers have this sort of large workforce. So using rammed earth became... Uh, you know, a, a, a reasonable solution. Um, and also with rammed earth, you have the thermal mass, and so it can be, you know, interior can be cool and so on. So there, there, were, there were a lot of potentials and possibilities of using that material. So we start from that. And then the question is that, okay, look, you, you use a building system, but then these workers are not trained to uh, build that, that system. So while we were designing the building, using that building system, we were also designing the training workshops in how to upskill soldiers in that uh, that uh, that building system. So that, you know, designing of the product and designing of the process goes in parallel. So the, let's say the rammed earth, I'm guessing that was a reasonably e easy material for them to familiarize themselves yes, with yes. in terms of its yes. construction. Yes. But then you've also got very lightweight, relatively fine glazed facades, glazed screens, which look like a system, but yes. I'm not sure yes. when they are. Yes. And then you've also got a um, the steel work. Yeah, a steel yes. work and yes. a very light roof yes. with little fine sort of bow exactly. string trusses. Yes. yes. So yes. There's, a, there's a lot of detail yes. and technology in yes. it as well. Yes. You know? And, you know, one of the strategies, even with rammed earth as well as steel work, um, one of the things that we did was that we, we produced this diagram which we call labor training matrix and we try to identify different building systems with different complexities. So for example, you take rammed earth, so the most simplest version of a rammed earth wall would be your simple geometrical, you know, square shaped wall. And then you try to connect two walls together perpendicularly. Then you have to deal with the junction. Then you're trying to uh, change the shape of the wall. So the complexity of the system can gradually increase. And so what we do then is that we try to bring these different building systems to the building itself so that an unskilled worker can start building the simplest version and then gradually, uh, you know, move up the skill between ladder so that the building process itself becoming a training experience. So even with steel work. So when you design a steel truss, for example, so, you know, there could be the simplest welding joint. So suppose you're trying to weld a rebar to a steel plate. Then there could be a complex system where you're trying to weld, uh, you know, I-section beam to a um, steel tube. So and in between, there are a series of other complexity. So we first um, ask the unskilled welder to start with the simplest version and then gradually move into the complexities. So so the building itself become a, sort of a like an organic skill building ladder um so so again it was something that 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 was planned at a very early stage of the design process but again from a design point of view uh, the challenge then still is that you have to design the system in such a way that they can tolerate this process that you know errors will happen uh, if you use real building projects to train workers but those errors will not lead into a chain of failures. So, um, as well as practicing and um, 
teaching in Sri Lanka. You're also a visiting fellow at EPFL in Lausanne, and you're a member of the FAR group. Yes. Can you tell me about that uh, teaching group and research group? Yes. Um, look, as I said, that you know, in terms of the practice, though, I think I'm lucky to a certain extent that I've been able to extend the research into the practice, but I've also been able to extend that into my teaching as well. Um, and 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 uh, what I do in Sri Lanka is more or less essentially, uh, you know, um, encouraging my students to question what architecture is in that place, and uh, and also to redefine um, the notion of architect and to look at perhaps architecture from a kind of a similar social and political framework which has become important to our own work. Uh, and the people that I work in... Is that a Sri Lankan social and political perspective? Not or do you think it's a global one? Because you have this perspective as a Sri Lankan who's lived and studied in Australia, uh, a Sri Lankan who now teaches in Switzerland. You know, you have a quite unique yes, perspective. Uh, yes. Look, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a glo- global phenomenon. Um, and, uh, and certainly you have to learn from the world. Um, but also... Um, what I was going to tell you is that the, the, the people that I work in EPFL are the ones that I have known for a while. For example, uh, my PhD supervisor, Paolo Tombesi, is the one who is leading the FAST studio in uh, in EPFL. So, again, you know, it's a kind of an extension of the work that we have been doing for the last 15 years. Um, so there's a sort of a reciprocal relationship between what we do in Sri Lanka and what we do in uh, in, in Switzerland, even the, the you know some of the design studios that we taught at EPFL were more or less related to um, what is happening in Sri Lanka. It's about the industry. It's about how you restructure the place and so on and so on. Housing. So that's far as a agenda. Is yes, that, that's how you'd summarize it. I, I mean, look, it's it's. I think the agenda at the end of the day is about to uh, to relate design with construction. Um, right. You know, and and that is you know, what we see, especially in academia, that we increasingly see there's a sort of a fragmentation between these two, um, uh, um, what? Uh, worlds. Worlds, <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, so it's, uh, I think, you know, the research and the practice and, and even the teaching at EPFL is more or less about trying to bridge the, yeah. the gap and bring them together and do you think is that is that it sounds to me it's a it's a it could be a, a way of sort of reminding people that, that these things do relate to each other yes, yes um it could be um uh, I, I guess the question is to what extent is it a position of resistance or to what extent actually is it uh you know in that sense of uh if there's a trajectory that modernism suggested that there was progress. Yes. To what extent is this about um, the sense of, of of bringing the two things back together as if they're going away in front of us, or is it a case of actually saying, "Look back, look around you. Yep. These things are possible. Yes. You've just forgotten. Yes. Yes. I think it's the latter to a certain extent, in the sense that, uh, you know. Um, you know this whole idea of building. You know, building is a is a verb, but it's also a noun. But this act of building, the making of it, is something that we are increasingly 
forgetting. But, you know, especially where I come from, you know, when you practice in a place like Sri Lanka, you know, y- you essentially become a builder. You know, a- a- at best you are a creative builder. You know, you can't um, take yourself away from that act of building. Um, so uh, so it's it's not necessarily about resistance, but perhaps it perhaps it's the only way. Um, and the members of, of, of the FAR group, I mean, from, from how far from around the world... Where do you all come from? Well, uh, Paolo is from uh, is, uh, from Australia, but he's trained in uh, in 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 Rome, in Italy, um, and he has done his PhD at UCLA. Um, and we've got Ricardo Wanucci, who is a um, is an architect from Rome, but he has done some wonderful projects. You know, a famous project uh, um, in in Burkina Faso, which has won um, several international awards as well and then we have people um, coming from South Af- uh, South America um, and you know different parts of the world and who more or less have similar line of thinking who has similar values similar ethos and uh, so it's a kind of a, uh, a research group uh, which sort of you know try to tackle um, issues which are common to us all and, and does that attract a similarly international uh, student uh, body. Yes. Um, to, to EPFL, to your group. Yes. Uh, sorry. Uh, but I guess so. As a as a research group and yes. as a, as a group of academics, you, you you've come together from sort of all four corners of the world. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and I wonder whether that yeah the reaction is that your students come from all over the world. Too. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I mean, look, I, I think that that's yeah. At least the aspiration, in the sense that uh, so, uh, um, and Switzerland being this place which sort of attracts um, students from different parts of the world, and uh, so it's a it's a it's a it's it's a reciprocal thing in the sense that you learn from that place, but also you sort of disseminate that mm-hmm. knowledge around the world as well. So, and some of the problems and issues that we are looking at, you know, they are. They are global, but at the same time, they are specific to different regions. Um, so, so it's a it, it's a place which allows us to look at the world and you know so try to understand what makes us common, what are the uh, the common grounds, but at the same time, what makes certain places specific as opposed to the others. And is it is there something? Can you tell me there's something particularly sort of radical that's going through your minds at the moment as a group? What's 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 um, causing you the most interest or concern, whichever way you look at it? Well, I think uh, one of the things is to look at this sort of the process of production and consumption. Um, that you know, one of the ideas that we were looking at, you know, to study the geography of production, you know, how the industries have been organized in different parts of the world in terms of materials, in terms of actors, in terms of production, and so on and so on. Um, and and that's, I think that's quite significant. And, you know, especially, again, if I go back to my own experience in a place like Sri Lanka, and if you look at social housing, for example, the problem is not necessarily about coming up with typologies. It's not necessarily about, you know, Solving problems of ten or fifty or hundred. I mean, it's a, it's you know it's a, uh, it's almost building cities 
So you need to question the industry. You need to restructure the industry, industries. Um, you need to redefine the cultures. You have to rethink about how do you train workers, how do you produce materials. So this whole idea of you know the relationship between architecture, industry, production, and then how do you sort of intellectualize from an academic point of view as well as then eventually how you extend that into the practice is something I think is is is, is quite uh, and that quite undoubtedly important. has yeah. social connotations, exactly. It? But it also yes. has sustainable exactly connotations. Exactly. And well. then yeah, exactly. Um, and also you you could uh, again going back to. Ro- you know this sort of idea of robustness and you know you're talking about sustainability as well we also feel that you know if you build robustly then the building should be sustainable so you know do you need to use another term sustainability um uh, but anyway so i i think um because i because because i think that in the uk certainly and i think probably quite quite a lot further afield People don't really know what they mean when they talk about sustainable. Yes. We all feel obliged to talk about it. Uh, and, and most of the discussion about what... Cons- yeah, well, a lot of architects, a lot of, let's say, good architects, are sort of still really pay- paying lip service to it and yes. not confronting yes. the question. Yes. But equally, society is not very good at, at um, addressing it. Yes. And it is a matter of regulation and it's a matter of politics and... It's actually fundamentally about us changing our way of life, I suspect. Um, but also it seems to be something which is largely defined by engineers. Yes. And I think the future lies in us as architects reclaiming the subject. Yes. Because it's something that we always had to do in the past, which is to be reasonably economic with our use of material. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you build well... Then it should sustain itself, um, and uh, so it's not necessarily about you know these sort of sophisticated systems and you attach these systems to the buildings, but to make sure that you know you build well, you use resources properly, um, and, uh, and 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 design building in such a way that they last, um, they are they perform well environmentally, and perhaps at the end of the day it's all about common sense. You know if you build in the tropics, perhaps. You know, if you have cross ventilation, if you design buildings around courtyards so that the, you know, around trees so that the trees can shade the buildings, if you have, if you use a thermal mass so that the interior can be cooler, so these are all solutions that perhaps have been there. So, um, what you want is to make a building that lasts a thousand years. That's right, exactly. That doesn't require vast amounts of maintenance and and probably was fairly economic in its use of materials. And as you were talking, I was just thinking of a Gothic cathedral with Mm. these incredibly slender columns, these incredibly fine vaults, flying buttresses and and vast amounts of void, uh, you know, glass. Yes. And very little stone. Yes. Engineering at its its zenith, even if it was the best part of a millennium ago, it's still there. Yes. And whilst it doesn't subscribe to certain... um, perhaps conventions of sustainability. Yes. Actually, it does meet many of your criteria. Yeah, no, certainly. And what happens is that when you try to bring all these unnecessary systems to the building, that we make it unnecessary complex and therefore Mm. sensitive and therefore precise. There are so many joints that you have to resolve. There are so many investments and intellectual investment, not 
on designing the building, not on designing the program, but resolving the, the building systems and the technological solutions. So I think it also takes yourself away from where you should be focusing on as an architect. You know, you should be focusing on, you know, developing programs, designing cultural spaces, and then build it well. Um, so uh, so I, I believe that, you know, even with this sort of like engineering systematic approach to sustainability, I think, you know, we as architects are moving away from what we are supposed to do. Mm. And 2016 was a fairly extraordinary year, wasn't it? Because your work was exhibited at the Venice Biennale. Yes. Um, when Alejandro Arab Vena was the curator. And... Um, uh, remind me, what was the, the sort of theme and, and how did the work, what, which piece, which project of yours was exhibited? And The theme was reporting from the front. So I think what they want to do is to sort of look at practices around the world who were sort of taking certain challenges to think beyond the boundaries and to sort of, you know, try to look at issues which are, um, you know, complex on their own rights, but with a certain social and political position um, and expand the, the boundaries of architecture, I guess. And the project that uh, we presented was the, the community library projects, which were we used the soldiers and we trained the workforce and so on and so on. And, and there we, again, I think what we presented there was not necessarily the product, but the process. And, and perhaps, you know, the need to redefine the role of architect in specific context um you know um and uh, and this idea of you know designing the process as opposed to designing the product so those are the kind of the themes that we presented in in in, in that exhibition you 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 gave a ted talk and in that talk you you made a fantastic series of personal statements and questions you said you know can architecture build capacities new cultures of production can architecture build people's lives? Yes. Which is a fantastic ambition. Yes, yes. Um, yes, look, yeah. Um, yes, so, I mean, look, uh, that's the thing in the sense that, you know, you know, sometimes when you work in a, in a place like Sri Lanka, you question what you do. Um, and at the end of the day, it's not necessarily about coming up with uh, building artifacts. You know, it's about the broader contribution. And uh, again, you know, I always say that that's the only way, you know. Um, and uh, and when we say, you know, can we build people's lives, you know, I think there are different interpretations on that. Um, you know, you create cultural spaces where people will use and people affiliate with themselves. You can make uh, the use of those spaces better, but also by inhabiting processes like training and so on. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you... As an architect, you produce a building, you, you get a certain satisfaction. Your client will also get a building which perhaps that he can use for the rest of his life, but workers will also get something out of it. So you leave something mm. for everyone. Um, it sounds a bit like William Morris. It sounds like the arts and crafts. sounds like something from the late 19th century of the dignity of the, yes. of, of, of the worker. Yes, yes. And, I guess I have one last question, which is, you know, you're here in the School of Architecture in Kingston and every year we have graduates. And now as a practicing architect and as a teacher, do you have one piece of advice 
for the for our next mm. year of graduates? Yes, it's, it's you look. I mean, it's a it's a difficult question in the sense that we are all different. In the sense that I think, as architects and as people, that we have to find our own path. But if I have to give just one advice, I think you know, learn from the world. Um, you know, and and uh, um, look at buildings. You know. Um, study buildings you know not necessarily you know good buildings but you know um buildings perhaps which are not working properly but try to develop a capacity to read the world and i think you'll be a better architect melinda thank you so much thanks simon thanks for listening to this episode and a huge thanks again to simon and to melinda for their time I do hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please remember to subscribe and to leave your reviews and comments. It all helps. Before signing off, I'd just like to thank Christoph Luder, Matt Wells, Matt Phillips, and of course Laura Evans for their work as part of the Registered Team. Do do join us next time. Thank you very much. Bye.